Hello, Mountain. It's good to see everybody again. I've been gone a little bit, so it's good to be back and see everybody. Welcome to you if you're joining us from our Bel Air or Edgewood campus as well. Hey, fall is always a rockin' time at Mountain. If the last 20 years have been any indication, we have every reason to expect that God is going to do something kind of cool and big around here. We feel like we've prepared some series and some things that kind of give God space to do some really uh, important and big things in our lives. So that's good news. I want to encourage you to be inviting uh, people uh, to this series that we're beginning today uh, over the next few weeks and then the one after that. Just It's going to be just a great opportunity to say, hey, why don't you just come check it out with me. So here's the good news. The good news is we actually have space to welcome uh, some new people at Mountain on weekend services. That's good news, right? That's good. Um, the other news is that we are dangerously full at two of our services. Uh, you happen to be sitting in one of them right here at the Mountain Road campus. The 945 and the 1135 on Sunday mornings at Mountain Road are dangerously full. Dangerously why? Because people are being physically hurt as they are jammed into the space? No. Uh, but dangerous because it jeopardizes some of our mission. If you bring someone that hasn't, you know, maybe they haven't been in church in 20 years. Mountain's great at reaching people like that, but not if there's no place to sit or they can't get into the parking lot. So, so over the next few weeks, you're going to hear about an initiative we're, we're starting. It's just called the Service Project because where you go to service is an active service. And so we're going to be doing what Mountain has always done, and that is asking some of us to think about how can I serve uh, by making a change. And uh, so uh, here's, the, here's the deal. We've got space um, in other places. So I want to just say if you live close to the Bel Air campus, maybe some of you will consider uh, shifting your worship service attendance time to the Bel Air campus because they've got room and they're ready to welcome you. Maybe some of you live closer to the Edgewood campus, and maybe you'll say, I wanna, we're going to adopt that as our location where we worship. Guess what? We also have room on Saturday night and Sunday night and also Sunday morning here at Mountain Road. Those, those are the places, Edgewood, Bel Air, Saturday night, Sunday night, and uh, Sunday morning. So think about it. If that's something that you can do to serve, great. You're going to hear more about it. It's called the Service Project. Okay, fair enough? Yeah. Is anybody actually here today? <laughs> so, what happened to you all when I was gone? So. so we were gone. We had a little chance to get a break, and we were very blessed to be able to do that. And... Um, uh, went to a convention in Indianapolis, which was very refreshing, and then um, did some speaking uh, out of town at other places in Chicago and at my home church in Minnesota. Um, we went to Iowa. I always kind of rip on Iowa, but I got to be nice because my wife's from there, so it's a nice place to be. But the best part of Iowa was we got to meet Addie. Here's a picture of Addie. Addie is my new niece. Addie is fresh from China, newly adopted by Carla's sister's family, and we've just been loving on that girl from a distance, and we got to spend time with her. That was great. Um, that was pretty much the highlight of Iowa, though. Um, oh, no, I take that back. There was another awesome scene that I saw in Iowa. I actually took a picture of it. Yeah, cornfield. But um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, so one of the best parts, if you know me, uh, was um, spending time at the cabin on the lake in northern Minnesota where I've been every summer of my life, and my kids have too, and, and uh, it's a beautiful place, and it's very refreshing for us. Um, here's a picture of sunrise off the dock. That's what, uh, and God's out there on that dock uh, every, every morning, and at night as well. And we've actually named the cabin uh, Revive Us Again, because that's what you know, God kind of does for us uh, in that place. And we all need 
I think, to find those ways that you can get recharged and refreshed and be quiet and, and, and so forth. Now, I don't know how you, um, how you vacation. Some of you are beach How many of you are beach people? You just go and you, your idea of a good time is to sit and stare at something. Um, that's not how we do it, y'all. And in Kachera's tradition, we go. We, we like to go and squeeze stuff in. I thought you might like to look at just a couple of pictures of some of what we did. Here's a picture of my son, Andrew. He's wakeboarding here. It's not a bad picture. Um, now, he thinks, you know, it's not a good picture because he wants you to see that he can get a lot more air. But trust me, that's all the air he ever gets when he, when he jumps. So I thought, well, you need to see another picture of the old man to show him up that the, the old man can still do it. And no, look, look, ma, no hands. So there you go. Um, here's my son Nate uh, paddleboarding, uh, something we tried this year. He's the one on the left. Um, <laughs> kind of hard to tell with the scruffy thing there. We, so we, we're kind of goers. We play tennis and inline skate and all kind of stuff. And uh, here, we even got in on a on some uh, square impromptu square dancing uh, this year. Believe it or not, there's a picture of Carl and Ellie and Nate and so forth. I also have photographic evidence that on our vacation we did some work. Here's my son Andrew about to go all Paul Bunyan on a hunk of birch, and uh, so we we just we have a great time. And the best part is not with the things we do; it's with extended family. Um, we have brothers and sisters and their families and nephews and nieces and their families and cousins. And no kidding, like second cousin removed, fa- everyone gets together. And, and uh, especially, um, I, I appreciate time with my parents. You've heard me talk a lot about them. John and Don Cacheras, 84 and 86 years old. Uh, dear people to me. And you start wanting to take care of these ones who have taken care of you for so many years, right? When I'm there with those people in that place... I often have said of the cabin in northern Minnesota, I said, there's no place I'd rather be. And uh, certainly there were places and and, uh, moments that felt like that. So goodbyes kind of stink, honestly. I get kind of crabby loading the car. And uh, so I got a couple pictures of of our goodbyes. Here we are on the porch. Those are my kids and my folks on the porch of the cabin where I've gone every summer of my life. The van is loaded. The car top carrier is, you know, jammed to the gills. I got my ice cup all filled, and we're getting ready to go. And uh, so we're saying some goodbyes. Here's a picture of, uh, of Ellie saying goodbye to her grandpa. And, uh, you know, when, when you're my age and when you're my parents' age, uh, you, when you say goodbye, you, you know, you'll know you'll see each other again, but you, you don't know if it'll be on earth or in heaven. So these are precious goodbyes. And uh, here's a picture of, of my son Nathan saying goodbye to grandma. Those are tender moments. When it was my turn to say goodbye, I hugged my mom, I hugged my dad, told him I loved him, and then I said, uh, it's time for me to go back to the place God put me. Because uh, that's where you really want to be is in the center of God's will. So I got in the van, and we drove 24 hours straight, to be back here in Maryland with you all in this place, in this amazing, epic journey of what God is doing in this place. And when I, yeah, when I say, when I say, uh, when I say there's no place I'd rather be, I I, I mean that about the cabin in certain ways, but when I see what God's doing and how we are all privileged, you are privileged to be part of this and so am I. And uh, friends, there's no place I'd rather be than right here with you and I cannot wait to see what comes next. It's going to be epic. So let's jump in today. We're starting a new series called Torn. It's called Torn. Everybody say Torn. Hey, did you see the new issue of People Magazine? I'm finally on the cover. Yeah, actually on the cover. If you look down here at the mailing label, 
You see my, my name. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I actually don't subscribe to people. In fact, I've never opened a People magazine until this week. And I noticed as you start looking at the pictures and the stories in People magazine that really it's not about people, it doesn't seem. It's, it's really about like famous people, right? Rich people, um, actresses and actors and that kind of thing. But then, you know, you start thinking about the people in People magazine and you realize that you know, even though we think they're kind of immune and they have these beautiful, glory, glorious lives, really, all the stories are about how messed up they are. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, on the cover of this one, it's like Jay-Z and Beyonce are in trouble. Their marriage is going to rock. So-and-so's in rehab. So-and-so's getting a divorce. So-and-so's cheating on somebody. And so-and-so's kid got all screwed up. And, you know, you just start noticing that after a while, so you know what, maybe, maybe this magazine isn't about famous people. Maybe... Maybe it really is about all of us, you know? Maybe it's about people, not just famous people. If you kind of go right to the center of the magazine and pull out that center fold, it's a reminder that right at the center of, of humanity is, is where you and I live, you know? So these people aren't any different than, than, than we are, really, are they? These kind of people. And as we saw this last week from Robin Williams, we saw that his life was, was torn. And then we realized that we stepped back that, you know, everyone in People magazine, everyone at the center of humanity is torn. You know what? Uh, you're no different. The, the person sitting next to you, guess what? They're also torn. Yeah. We're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about all kinds of ways that we're torn. We're going to talk about torn, um, torn families because our families are torn. Marriages aren't flourishing the way they're meant to, right? We have estrangement between parents and kids. We have bitterness and feuds and we have, we have drugs and affairs and gambling and all this stuff that interrupts families and families that are so busy they don't feel like they're really kind of coming together and flourishing how a family should flourish. And we have, we have pain and struggle and difficulty and disappointment and disillusionment in our families, right? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about something that some of us may not really want to talk about, but we're going to talk about it anyway, and that is how even our sexuality is torn. This beautiful thing that God created in each of us and for each of us, who among us would, who among us would, would want to say, no, not, I, I, I'm not torn, because I think we all know what it's like to have some of that torn in us as well. We, we know what it's like to have torn hearts, don't we? You know where you have a dream that's dashed or a, a, a job that you're lost or a lover that runs away or one that never comes... A funeral you don't want to go to, a sickness that's unwelcome, we have torn hearts. We're going to talk about that. You know what else we're going to talk about? The fact that even in the midst of all of this, some of us are also just torn from God. This one that, you know, loves us the most, some of us, um, because of what we've done, we feel so guilty, feel like he's mad at us. Some of us, some of us, we're just so spitting mad at God because of what we think he's done to us. Or we're too busy or preoccupied with ourselves or our lives or our money or our toys or whatever. But the truth is we're, a lot of us, torn from God. And we're left in our lives, all of us, with, you know, torn pieces. 
Uh, God says, I can tell you about that. Um, it's part of an epidemic, infectious disease that is way worse than Ebola. And it's infecting every cell of your body and every fiber of the universe, and it's called sin. And there's no vaccine or, 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 or hazmat suit that can prevent you from being uh, torn by it. In fact, uh, the Bible says that all of creation groans with the tearing. You don't have to open just People magazine. You open any magazine and you can see and hear the groans, can't you? From Iraq to the streets of Ferguson, Missouri, where the guns and the arms are still in the air, and, 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 and our own streets where another 19-year-old boy died this week unnecessarily. And it makes you all just want to, makes you want to just kind of think, what if we could, I wish we could just kind of take all these, these pieces and, you know, maybe if we start folding them up, we start realizing that they just keep tearing. And we're just left with a little tiny, tiny pile of pieces. You ever want to just hide all your pieces? Like just kind of, we could just kind of wrap them up, you know, make them real small. Can you see my pieces? Yeah. I'm just going to wrap it. Can you do that? Just get it. Wouldn't that be great? Make it go away. Anybody see my pieces? Or better yet, what if we could, what if we could take a, what if we could take like some pixie dust and just make all the pieces go away? Then your life wouldn't be torn anymore. I know, what if someone had a magic wand we could wave over our lives and just make all the pieces, you know, wouldn't that be, well, Funny you should mention it. As a pastor, I actually have a magic wand. Did you know that? I carry one with me all the time. Yeah. I didn't have magic wand. Wouldn't that be great? We could just kind of wave a magic wand over all the pieces of our lives. And then, as if somehow that would allow, by magic, you know, the, all the pieces to start reassembling and coming back together again. Wouldn't that be awesome? We could do that. No. That's more than a little trick, an illusion. That, my friends, is exactly what God wants to have happen in your life. Right there. That's what God wants to do with the whole world, right? That's what He wants to do with your torn pieces and mine. And, and, and if you'll open your spirit to what the scriptures and God wants to say to you about your torn pieces, something really, really cool can happen in your life over the next few weeks. I don't know if you're open to change. How many of you love change? Probably about one out, one out of 50 really love change. The rest of us tend to resist it. But if you can instead learn to welcome a few changes in your life, then God wants to do something with your pieces that are going to be amazing and your life will stay together even if you're torn. I want to tell you about 4-H's. When I was a kid, we had 4-H at the county fair all the time. And uh, some of you were probably 4-H people. You raise a pig and show it to other people who raise pigs, and they're showing their pig to you, and that's how it works, I guess. But um, I want to tell you about 4-H because these 4-H's are, are really, really important, and if you cling to them, they can help you stay together when life is torn. So turn with me, if you will, in your Bible to the book of Joel. It's in the Old Testament. Or get out your phone or, or device, whatever you've got. Look with me at the book of Joel. He's what we call a minor prophet. He had a major message, and here's why. The people he's talking to that God sent him to, they are torn. Their life is terribly disrupted. The reason is 
a terrible invasion, a huge swarm of locusts has come in and completely devastated their crops and their fields. Of course, in an agrarian society where they depend on their livelihood from the earth, it was a devastating loss. Everything is laid bare. The crops, the figs, the grapes, everything is ruined and laid to waste. And the message that God sends Joel to say to the people is, look around and wake up. Look at the reality of your situation. And he wants to say, you've got a problem that calls for some kind of response. You need to turn to God. It's all, you know, look around. Joel chapter 1, verse 15. God says, wake up. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine, for it's been snatched away from your lips. You've just drunk the last glass of wine you're going to have for a while because there's no more grapes. Hello? And God is saying, wake up and let's be honest about the situation, uh, the reality of the moment because they're just moping, their hearts are broken, they don't know what to do. Maybe you've been there where something's torn and you know it's not quite right, but you don't know what to do. Sometimes what you need is a jolt into reality and just kind of own your part in the situation. That's the first H, is to be honest. Everybody say, be honest. Be honest about the fact that you're torn and how you're torn. Be honest about it. It's not just the world. It's not just the people in a magazine, but it's all people, including you, who are torn, who has some pain, who has some hurt, who has some part of your life that is not flourishing the way God intended. So we need to bring it on home and be honest and say, I'm part of this mess. When you ignore or deny or minimize your tornness, it kind of makes you a dangerous person. Maybe you're like that. Because everything's everyone else's fault because you don't have any tornness. I don't have any issues. Or, or I'm just sort of oblivious and I lie to myself. I'm not really honest. We've got to get to the place where we say, I'm part of this mess. I own my part. And parts of me are torn. And part of my heart is broken. That's a really important first step to embrace this. Because, watch this, what happens is, in those areas where you can be honest that you're torn, God will meet you in a deeper in more important way, they will meet you anyplace else. God will meet you in your strengths. He's given you gifts. That's true. But when we're honest and recognize an area of woundedness that draws us to God, there's something that comes out of that deepened relationship that is more authentic faith than you'll ever have anywhere else. That's why Christians should be the most real people. Why, what's up with the Christians acting all fake all the time? You know, plastic smile, cheesy grin. How you doing? Great. Praise the Lord. Bye. See you next. You know, that's why I love this church. We can keep it real around here. You know, Jesus said, you know what? Life is hard. You're going to suffer. In this world, you'll have trouble. He promised all that. Everything and everyone is torn for now. That, that's the deal. So guess what? You got a problem. Turn to the person next to him and tell him, you got a problem. Might as well tell him, you got a problem. Okay, so I didn't say tell them what their problem is. Just say, you got a problem. Okay. <laughs> So, let me ask you, do you know some of the ways that you're torn? Do you realize that's a function of maturity? If you want to grow up, you get in touch with the areas where you're not whole. Or do you prefer to ignore them, pretend they're not there, or that they're really about someone else, or that it doesn't matter? Do you know where your baggage is, where your dysfunction is, how you hurt people? sometimes 
or how others easily hurt you, those are pointers to your tornness. We need to have crystal clarity on some of our tornness people. That's a function of maturity because our tornness is the fruit of sin in our lives. And we need to know about that. We need to know what it is. Some of us are riddled with insecurity. That's an area where maybe you're hurting and torn. Some of us are arrogant and prideful and off-putting with others. Some of us have low self-esteem. Some of us get defensive every time anybody tries to help us grow. Some of us are offensive. Some of us don't play well with others. Some of us have relational trails of damage behind us like a wake and a boat. Some of us are selfish and it hinders us from really serving the Lord the way He meant us to. Some of us have, have been abused or beaten up on by others in such a way that it leads you to think things about yourself that simply aren't true and that's part of your tornness. Some of you have a pattern of addiction. Some of us have a pattern of lying or fudging or relationship failures or maybe we're lazy and undisciplined. These are ways that maybe we're torn. Maybe you're an overeater. Maybe you're a binger. Maybe you cut. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe, maybe you're someone who bullies or has been bullied. Maybe, maybe you're scared about school or paralyzed about the prospect of having to make a decision about your future and you're waiting for the world to change and someone to come along and tell you what you're supposed to do. I don't know. However you're torn, be honest about it. Wake up and invite God into that torn place. And that is when good things start to happen in your life. If you're unaware, denying it, and you don't know how you're screwed up and how you're screwing others up, then you're preventing God's doing a major work in your life. And you just begin to say, God, I want you to bring wholeness into my life. That's why I love this place, is it's not for perfect people. It's not for people who are kind of like Christian-y and already got their life started together. It's for messed up, torn, broken people who come and say, I believe Jesus is the healer, restorer, redeemer that I need and we are on a journey together as he is putting us together again and making all things new. That's what Mountain is, a collection of messed up crackpots who get together and hang out and say, you're screwed up, me too. Let's go to church together. That's what Mountain is. And I don't know what your problem is, but you got one. So let's keep it real, keep it real, okay? Be honest. And uh, that leads to the second H. First H is be honest. The second is to know that God hates tornness. God hates it. God hates it when any part of His creation is not flourishing the way that He really intended it to. In Joel chapter 2, in the scripture here, you know, the fields, instead of ripe and burgeoning with grapes and figs and olives, are now laid to waste, and they've been completely devoured to nothing but clumps of dirt and bent over pieces of half-eaten crops. And God hates that when any part of something he made that is meant to flourish and be fruitful is now withering and drying and dying, whether it's a field or a life or a church or a city or a planet. God hates it. He hates suffering. He hates dysfunction in families. He hates disease in bodies. He hates death in families. He hates seeing torn people. It's not the way it's supposed to be. So you should think about your torn parts. Your sin issue or the way that someone has sinned against you that has left you torn. Think about it. 
Maybe it's that your pages of your life feel like they've been torn out of your journal on the way to your future and now your life is interrupted and it'll never happen the way you thought. Think about whatever it is and realize that God hates anything in your life that is keeping you from flourishing the way He intends. God's not okay with the pain of infertility. He's not okay when a child is born stillborn. He's not okay with the hurt that you feel when someone you love gets wounded or killed in Afghanistan. God hates that you were abused. God hates the brokenness you feel sometimes in your body from arthritis or some other problem. He hates the insecurities that, that, that haunt you, the guilt that stifles you, the arrogance and pride that hinders you from being close to God and other people. God hates it when any part of your life or mine is torn and feels like a bunch of broken pieces in our hands that we either try to hide or wave a magic wand over. God wants to do something about it. God can do something about it. And God is doing something about it, which leads us to the third H. The first, remember, was we have to, first of all, be honest. The second is to remember that God hates it. And third is that God can heal it. God can heal any tear. Whatever is torn. No matter how bad it may seem. Now it's preseason football in the National Football League, which means for you non-sports fans that this is the time of year when I start giving a football illustration every week and you don't like it. Okay? If you asked a uh, hundred NFL fans who is the best running back in the National Football League these days, 95 or 97 of them are going to say what name? Come on. Adrian Peterson. Absolutely. Can I get a witness? Amen. Okay. Can I get it? Can, does anybody happen to know what team he might happen to play for? Let's hear it. The Minnesota Vikings. Absolutely. Give me an amen. Amen. All right. Here's, Adrian. Here's a picture of Adrian Peterson galloping over hopeless, helpless Green Bay Packers. On his way to the end zone, no doubt. I love Adrian Peterson. He's a great, great running back. He was having a great career. But I'll never forget... Um, Christmas Eve 2011, watching the game against those dreadful Redskins, Washington Redskins. And uh, he was moving into the end zone and he planted his foot and he turned and as he did, well, the foot was planted, somebody hit the side of the knee and he went down and there was this pop. And the ACL, the anterior cruciate ligament and the medial cruciate ligament, which are vital, necessary, stabilizing ligaments for anyone, let alone an athlete, were completely torn. And I'm watching that. And he goes down. He's not getting up. I'm like, oh, no. My life is over. <laughs> I was concerned for him, of course. But, uh, and then, we, and then when, and collectively, all the Minnesota fans, when they saw this, you know, when they're hobbling off the field, we're like, oh, no. Then they said it's ACL. And you realize nobody really ever recovers really well from that. They come back sometimes. Some of, a very few come back, but they're never the same. So depressing, doom and gloom, you know. Felt bad for him, for the team, it's over, you know. Nobody, nobody expected what happened next. Because a lot of times it's several weeks before the blood goes down and the swelling, before you can even start rehab and so forth. But six days later, some guy does reconstructive surgery on Adrian Peterson's knee. They took some bone and ligament and muscle and tied it all together in a knot somehow, and they, and they put some ice on it, and he starts rehabbing. Here's pictures, he's under the media every day, he's, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's rehabbing that knee. And working hard. Nobody expected that. 
I'll tell you what else. Nobody expected it when on opening day of the next season, Adrian Peterson shows up in a uniform. A few months later, after this thing that nobody comes back from. And then nobody expected it when they handed him the ball in the first, game, first play of the game. And nobody expected it when they did it again and he kept running and he did really well and he was cutting and thrashing. And tr- nobody expected it when he was on fire. And they didn't expect that. And they didn't expect it when he did it the next week and the next week and the next game and the next game. Nobody expected it that when by the end of the season Adrian Peterson had run for 2,097 yards more than anyone has ever, six yards shy of the all-time world record of running backs in the history of the world. Nobody expected that. Because they said, oh, no, it can't be done. You know, he's, he's too injured. It's just, you know, but here he is receiving the most valuable player of the National Football League at the end of that season and a few other awards as well. How did he do it? Ask me how he did it. He's a Minnesota Viking. That's how he did it. No, no, no. Here, here's the principle. How did he do it? Simple. What was torn got healed. What was torn got healed. And catch this. The doctor said, in actuality, what was torn when they went in and tightened things up and put some grafts in there and did some stuff, they didn't just make him good as new. They made him better than new, and his knee was stronger. His knee is stronger today than it was before the tear. Friends, that's exactly how God rolls. That's what God wants to do in your life. So that the area that right now is torn and everyone's like, oh no, that'll never change, that'll never happen, that can never come back from that, you never change, it's over. That very area can be the area that through some surgery God probably wants to do on your life, maybe some repentance that'll shape your character, maybe some work that God can do, some spiritual surgery and rehab in your heart. God says, give me what is torn and I can heal it. No matter what other people say. So that the very place where you're broken and wounded and not flourishing can be the place where you might be stronger than ever. Because in my weakness, God makes me strong. But you've got to hand him the pieces first. That's exactly what happened in the days of Joel in chapter 2. Their lives were torn. There's just nothing but dirt fields and no crops. And guess what they did? They called out to the Lord in their need. Isn't that what we do? We call out to the Lord in our need, and we feel guilty like, I know you haven't heard from me in a while, but I really need you now. Guess what? God honors desperate prayers like that, just like he did from those people. Here's the deal. God wants the torn pieces of your life to draw you to him. That's exactly what he wants. He wants to meet you in those torn places, but he's waiting to see if you will turn the pieces to him because that's when his true colors can show through and, and, and his compassion and healing power can come into bear. But he's waiting to see if you will let yourself be drawn to him. Look at, look at the power of this scripture in Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Listen to this. This is God speaking to some of us today. It says this, even now, that means right now in this moment, even now, the Lord declares, Turn back to me with all your heart. Return to the Lord. for he, You're going to find that when you do, He's not going to pummel you. He's gracious and compassionate. And some of us need to turn even now to the Lord. Not tomorrow. Not someday when you get around to it. Some of us even now need to turn to the Lord so that He can begin to restore you. To say, Lord, we need your help. And God, here's that prayer of brokenness. And guess what God did in their case? He reversed 
the curse. He reversed the damage. He healed what was torn. Verse 25 says it this way. You should have it circled in your Bible. This is a great verse. It says, God says, I will restore. Here's their prayers, and he says, I will restore for you what the locusts have eaten. I will restore for you. I'll bring it back stronger than it was before. You'll have plenty to eat. I know you're hungry now. You'll have something to eat. You'll praise the name of the Lord, your God, forever. I know you're cursing my name now, but you'll be praising my name because I've worked one, and you'll say one day, look what God has done. And friends, that's what God is promising to you and me. He, I, he says, I turn to me with all of your heart now, and I will begin to restore what the locusts have eaten. That's God's promise to you. So whatever it is in your life, the innocence is lost, the joy is gone, the marriage is tottering. Where, where is it for you that the locusts have done some devouring? Where are the locusts gnawing away in a way that's leaving you torn? You can sit idly by and wring your hands and say, oh, it's over. Or you can believe in a God who hates what's happened and can heal it. Turn to me with all of your heart and I will restore what the locusts have eaten. Gather up the pieces, friends. Gather up whatever pieces you can and you offer them to the Lord. Be honest about where you're broken. Call out to Him and, and give Him the pieces. And see what He can do. I'm very happy that you get to hear from a friend of mine now named Scott. He's a guy in this church here at Mountain and um, I'm so grateful that he was bold enough and caring enough to sit in front of a camera and talk about some of the torn pieces in his life and what God is doing with them. So watch the screen. My name is Scott Smith. Growing up there were so many instances where I only felt like a, a piece of a person. I would say we were from that bottom rung financially growing up. My parents got divorced when I was three. There were multiple uh, occasions where my father got uh, in trouble for uh, abuse. He wasn't around the house much. For that period of my life, I was raised by my older sister, who was 15 at the time, and I was 12. I started drinking at the age of 12 and started living a life that no 12-year-old should live. Whenever I was 13, my father took us to our mom's house and never came back to pick us up. I was living with my mother and my stepfather, who was a very violent man. I would sleep with a loaded rifle, not because of a fear of the outside world coming into my house, but what was already in my house. My drinking continued to escalate, as well as my anger. By the time I was 15 years old, I was drinking 
uh, on a daily occurrence. It was my escape from what was going on around me. I had planned to remove my stepfather from the situation. Went so far as to dig a grave to put him in. And then one time I was mowing the lawn when I was 17, he and I got into an altercation and he chased me out of the yard with an ax. And I ran that day for my life. And I ran and never returned. I couldn't keep a job. And so when I was 19, I started my own company from a van and a lawnmower that I stole from my neighbor. And we grew that business to 15 employees grossing about $200,000 a month. Throughout this time, uh, my drinking and partying uh, lifestyle continued. Because of that lifestyle, we ended up having to shut down uh, that company whenever I was 25. I was left with a uh, lot of debt, a daily hangover, and it just kind of seemed like my life was in ruin. December 12th of 2002, I woke up after a long binge of partying. Not sure when the last time I had had a meal or taken a shower or changed clothes. I started crying. Because I looked at my life and I knew that if I did not get help, that I was going to die. And at that point, I was cool with whichever one. And so I prayed. And that was something I hadn't done in a long time. And I didn't pray for things to be easy. I prayed that I would be made whole. I went that night and I checked myself into AA. So a little bit later, called a girl that I had dated who wanted me to get my life straight and I was not ready to do that at the time and so I told her that I had stopped drinking and I asked if she would give me another chance. We started going to church regularly, restructuring our lives and getting to know Christ and working through a lot of the main issues. It is a ongoing process. It is not by any way complete, but through all the things that I've tried in my life, the one true thing that has made me whole is my walk with Christ and getting to know Him and trying to be more Christ-like. 
it's the only thing that has made me feel complete and whole. And so today, my life looks totally different than what I would have imagined. That girl is now my wife. And we have a beautiful 10-year-old son. I have never felt happier in my life than I do today. I was just commenting on that to my wife the other day. Wow, it is really amazing how far we've come together and how much of a blessing it is to be able to be a blessing to others and to live in a household with love and peace and support and kindness and joy and friendships and community and it's truly amazing I like to sit back and and think and just say look what the Lord has done God's got a great story that God is writing in his life, one that only God could tell. That's what we call that around here. That's a story only God could tell. But he had to, he had to get serious about his relationship with the Lord and reach out for the living Jesus and hand him the pieces. And now God is restoring what was eaten up. Maybe seeing... Scott, do that, and hearing him talk about it has encouraged you to do exactly what you know God is hoping you'll do. To reach for him in the same way. To hand him whatever pieces you're still holding on to, hoping for some pixie dust. Or hiding. Hand them to the Lord. See what God can do. Turn to me with all of your heart, even now. And I will restore what the locusts have eaten. Friends, when we're honest, remember that God hates our tornness. And he can heal us. That gives us hope. That's the fourth age. There's always hope. When Christ is part of the mix, there's always, always hope. That's what you see coming through in the passage from Joel where the message comes and it pictures a beautiful future where God's going to pour out his flesh on his spirit on all flesh and the crops are going to be beautiful and that's what God wants to give us as well is hope to remember when he's in the mix there's always hope. Lamentations is a great passage you might want to write this down. Lamentations chapter 3. People also are going through a difficult time and and, and they say in verse 19 well it's not over immediately uh, because I remember my affliction and my wandering. Like Scott remembers the bad things. You might remember and live with consequences for your tornness for a while. I remember the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. In other words it bums me out to think about it. But look at the next verse. Yeah there's tornness in my life but and yet verse 21 And yet I call something to mind which gives me confident... What's the word? What word? Hope is what we're looking for. What gives us this hope? Because the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. 
His compassions never fail. That gives me hope. They are new every morning. The compassion of God is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You get out of bed tomorrow morning, put your feet on the floor, let some wind come into your lungs, stand up and take whatever pieces you have, give them to the Lord. And then in that empty hand, He will put new mercies every single morning. Friends, we're all torn in life, if we can be honest. Right? But God hates it. God can heal it. And there's hope. God hates it. God can heal it. And there's hope. Say it with me. God hates it. God can heal it. And there's hope. Jesus is the reason for that hope, my friend. He's the reason. Some of you need to turn to Him. Have the relationship with Christ like Scott did. Commit to be baptized and start sinking your teeth into the mission at Mountain. Jesus knows what it's like to be torn. His life was torn. His heart was torn by his betraying friends. His, they tore his clothes off to shame him. They tore his flesh with a spear and, and his skin with nails. He knows what it's like to be torn to shreds. But praise God, he offered the pieces of his life to the Father and said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And guess what? It only took God about three days to reverse what it had taken Satan eons to scheme up and Jesus walked out of that tomb restored, all put back together again. He's alive again. He defeated death. He defied brokenness. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus got torn so you and I don't have to stay torn. He got restored so we can too. That's the hope of eternal life, and it happens right now on planet Earth every day in lives like Scott's and yours and mine. Whatever your situation, my friend, there is hope. Turn to the Lord. Be honest about it. No God cares. Wait for Him to heal. Wait for Him and bring Him to pieces. Let's pray. Our God, we reach out to You right now because there is so much in our life that's broken and we wonder, Lord, can You fix it? We call out to You because we know, Lord, only You can restore what the locusts have eaten. Only you can fix what's broken and heal what's wounded. So we ask you, God, can you reconcile what's ruptured in our relationships? Will you renew what's weary? We believe that only you can rebuild what's destroyed and cure what's diseased and renew what is weary and mend what is torn. And so we turn to you even now. Thank you for your compassion and all of God's people said.